Hello, my name's Gizzy Erskine. And I'm Sydney Lima, and this is Sex, Lies and DM Slides. Where we invite our celebrity friends to dive deep into their DM boxes to see what terrors lurk within. We'll be chatting about online trolls, online dating, perverted proposals, and why everyone's so weird on social media. Sex and Lies and DM Slides. This podcast contains adult content, graphic details of our sex lives, and the filthy contents of our inboxes. You have been warned. So welcome back to Sex Lies and DM Slides, which is our Spotify original podcast. I'm Sydney Lima. And I'm Gizzy Erskine. And I'm really excited about today because we basically have a sex bird on, don't we? A real life sex is what we're aspiring to become. Yeah, <laughs> basically. <laughs> it's Carly Scortino and she is famous for the blog Slut Ever, which actually became a TV show on Viceland. She also writes Vogue's online sex and relationships column, Breathless. You thought you'd hung out with her before, did <laughs> not you? <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I thought I'd been to her squat, actually, Gizzy. <laughs> we should so, explain a bit about that, shouldn't we? So she was famous for having this brilliant squat that was called... Squally Oaks. Squally Oaks. Yeah, no, there were quite a few squats around that time and I was probably doing some sort of touring of parties in squats and I thought I was at hers, but I don't think it was. <laughs> it was kind of all the vice lot, loads of people. It was kind of one of those weird people that I can't believe I've never met before and I yeah. sort of feel like you, you probably were there, but who fucking knows? <laughs> yes. And then she started writing for a sex column for Vice, which got really famous. She started writing for Vogue. And yeah, so uh, what have you been researching this week, Sid? Well, I found this account. It was basically an account on Instagram called Crossbreed and they're a collaborative queer sex and kink positive rave, essentially. Record label and rave. And in lockdown, they've been doing sex parties on Zoom. And they've started this thing on the Instagram called Quarantfessions, which is basically asking people what the filthiest thing you've done in lockdown is. So, would you like to hear some? Yeah, go on. So, the <laughs> how the cream egg sucked slash licked out of my ass. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> Foursomes and threesomes with all our housemates. Cool, I bet that's happened a lot. Yeah, I'm... I think everyone's kind of, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, my friend recently was just doing, had a, like, was approached for a threesome, but it was like out of lockdown. I think it was like the comeback, the comeback threesome. Yeah. When you can start adding people again. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh. So what's the filthiest thing you've done in, on lockdown? Oh, no, this is gross. My partner couldn't get to the bathroom, so pissed in an old bottle. I then drank it later on. That's a nice. lot. My girlfriend stuffed my mouth with four toasted and buttered hot cross buns riding me. That's hot. <laughs> I am into that. Uh, it's a lot of fisting. There's been a lot of quarantine fisting. Wow. Oh, my God. Oh, my God, Gizzy. Oh, my God. It says one of the things is sent my buddy clips of me using a glass dildo in my ass for the first time. That's what you received. That is what I received. Oh, my God. <laughs> Do you think that's him? And he's my, I'm now his friend. <laughs> You're his fuck buddy, is so, he? So we should explain that I've been getting some extreme DMs based on announcing this podcast. Some people are sort of like taking it, what I thought was a bit of wit and humour. Yeah. So somebody said, you respond to this, I'm going to send you a video of me fisting myself. So I was like, you don't film it, it didn't happen. As a joke, quite clearly. <laughs> at which point he sent me a video of him fisting himself with a glass dildo yeah. with an awful lot of lubrication. Awful lot of lubrication. <laughs> then I ignored it. Two days later, we're on holiday. Still up there. So, <laughs> <laughs> so what then, have you been doing? But it's expanded into this rubber. It's almost like a rubber tail. And it's so stuck up I don't glass. think I watched that one. It's quite a lot. It, yeah, you did. Do no, you watch did. it again? Yeah, go on. Then. What's his name? <laughs> oh! Ah! 
Okay, what's his name? Jeff, right. I'm going to find <laughs> Did you reply to them? Jeff O2, is this the guy? Oh, my God. Oh, God. Okay, so here's All the right. first one. Okay. Ah! So basically, okay, I just De- can't look. I describe. Can't, you have I've to describe it. I've had to watch it. I know, but I'm just going to describe it from looking at it from afar. Okay, it keeps going. Can you not hold it and then it pauses or something? No, it's It just not. keeps going in There's and out. a finger. So basically, it's a man's <laughs> bottom. You've bent over, you can see all the bits. And basically, there's a hand, there's a, there's a plastic hand, and it's going in and out of his ass with loads of lube, like it's kind of yellow lube. But I'm just looking at his bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> Look at the cupboards. Oh my god, he sent another one, yeah. Oh, and then he said, which is better? So Rip, said, open the other one, because okay. the other one is quite something. Okay, he's sitting on a toilet seat now. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh my god, so he just he basically gets off the toilet seat, and there's just this. There's dildo this. That's there's never ending. It's, it's never a rubber dildo that's never ending. And then ask which oh, one do you prefer? Yeah. I'm like, did you, uh, did you reply? No, but I think I will. Should we reply to him now? Yeah, I think so. But what should we do? Should we tell him off, or should we be like? I don't know. I mean, when you, I mean, you did ask for. Why it. didn't? Oh, fuck <laughs> off! <laughs> <laughs> I was gagging. No, send me some freaky shit. What's your PayPal? Oh my god! <laughs> finally made it. Send your PayPal. <laughs> Uh, but what for? No, he's gonna send scared. money. We should maybe set up a, a sex lies and DM slides. Okay, so should I, PayPal start, should I set up one now? Yeah, go on. Let's do it now, and then we'll we'll see. We'll let's just send this to Jeff and see what happens, and we'll talk about it in another episode. Yeah. Okay, we're gonna set up one, and we'll let you know what Jeff uh, says. Yeah. Or does. Yeah. Or once. Why do you think someone is sending you pictures of them fisting their ass, Gizzy? I think that he wants to dominate again. I think rather than being dominated and like your your mm. um, weird sex slave, I think sex slave. What was he? Financial slave. Oh, right. I don't have a sex slave. You did have to tread on his head. <laughs> um, okay, fair point. But... <laughs> We've lost her. Sorry. Where have you gone, Kizzy? I don't know. I'm coming back. Where were we? Where were we? You were trying to accuse me of having a sex slave. That was um, a um, So, but with your financial slave, this is yeah. kind of... We could find out what Jeff's really wants from, from this. We could, we, well, interview him. Should we get him to come to call us? Should we see if we can get him on the phone? That yeah. could be really funny. Ask him for his number. All right. I'll be like, Jeff, we want to interview you. I'm yeah. going to be honest. Jeff, let's do it that what way. If, or, or we could FaceTime him, but he might be doing the same thing. Oh, again. no. I'm not prepared to risk a FaceTime. Bum time him. Bum time. So we'll be letting you know how we get on with Jeff and uh, if we <laughs> get his number or not. We'll try and get him on the show. But I mean, I'm pretty like I'm pretty overwhelmed by that footage. We're certainly not asking for it. So because Carly's in this episode, I decided to take a prude test yeah, to on. see how prudish I was. And how, how did you come across? I'm ten percent prude. Yeah, I a think temp. that sounds about right. I'd yeah. say you're more prudish than that. I think I'm a bit more prudish. I'm yeah. going to do another test. I think I'm going to get Gizzy to do one. I was trying to get Gizzy to do it today, but it, it, it's, it's long. It's fucking long. <laughs> so we'll get back to you on if Gizzy's more prudish or less prudish. Than I'm going to say I, already. I know I'm going to be less prudish than you. I'm surprised you're only ten percent prude. I know. I really think I'm more of a 22% prude. I think that's exactly what yeah, I would have said. Well, exactly 22. You're exactly 22% yeah. prude. Yeah, it's all over not, my not face. A <laughs> the irony is, was that well, there was a thing I did at school, which was who was the most frigid. <laughs> that was me. <laughs> so, wait, what do you want? How did, did people just kind of go around nominating who yeah. was most frigid? Yeah. It's and a bit uh, mean, isn't it? Uh, until I was about you, 20. Go to, you went to an all girls school. Yeah. <laughs> I was always the most fucking frigid. Is yeah, I had not... to change that. <laughs> so we've got a couple of prudes basically running a sex podcast. <laughs> Hold on to your hats, children. So here we have Carly Scortino, who we did interview in lockdown during lockdown. 
<laughs> in New York. So apologies for any sound issues. Sex and lies and DM slides. Uh-huh. You're right. <laughs> Hi, Carly. Hey, how's it going? Not bad, not bad. <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure, before we start, I'm pretty sure I have actually been to your house before. But it wasn't a house, it was a squat, and it was in London, and it was called Squally Oaks. Oh my god, wait, really? <laughs> <laughs> but I, like, there were a few, like, squat parties at the time thing, and I'm pretty sure I've been there. There was a few, there was one squat that, I don't know if it was Squally Oaks, but it had literally just a crater in the floor of, like, concrete, like, rubble, and they'd kind of made a kind of ridge around it to be like, oh, kind of beware of the crater, but, yeah. <laughs> but that wasn't Squally Oaks. Clear, I don't clearly think not. so. <laughs> clearly not. <laughs> clearly not. Ooh, Shall we move on? <laughs> but it sounds like something that would have happened. I'm not sure. So was your squat called Squally Oaks? Is this just some weird random squat that you're just like, the only squat party I ever went to must be Carly? I don't know. Carly, <laughs> like, was it that? I mean, you lived in a squat for a while, didn't you? Yeah, there was a few. Squally Oaks was the one that we had most of the parties. It was um, mm-hmm. a play on the words squat and Hollyoaks, which yeah. maybe is evident. <laughs> but there was also a squat that I lived in for a while that was just an apartment that wasn't really where we had parties. So maybe yeah. that's what you're thinking Iconic. of. Maybe you went there once. Later. It was like there was a stairway up the stairs and part of the stairway was missing. So right. you had to like jump over it. Was that, that it? Sounds about I was on a bit of ketamine, so I'm not too sure <laughs> if that was the one. But anyway, how are you in lockdown? I'm okay. I just woke up. My sleep schedule in quarantine has gotten a bit strange. So I wake up at 11. I mean, that's not that bad waking up at 11, It's right? not bad. I mean, to be honest with you, I normally wake up at 11 in normal life. And then I'm actually getting up at 8 o'clock in the morning now. So I don't know what's going on there. <laughs> the lockdown rebel. Yeah. <laughs> But you, you've also been busy. You've got you, your lockdown podcast, Loving Quarantine. How's that going? It's going well. It's nice to hear what other people are going through. You know, everything mm. from are you and your boyfriend still having sex in quarantine or what it's like to live with a kid? <laughs> <laughs> Things like that. <laughs> what are you finding is like the answer to all those? Like, are people having less sex? Because I, I saw an article the other day that was saying that people were having less sex in quarantine. Well, <clears throat> it's... A lot of what you hear is anecdotal and so many people on Twitter, I felt like were saying, oh my God, I'm so horny in quarantine. All I do is masturbate all day. (laughs) And I was like, okay, that's interesting. And then I interviewed yesterday this guy named Dr. LaMiller and he works at the Kinsey Institute and is doing all these studies about what's actually happening in terms of sex and relationships in quarantine. And he was saying actually most people report to having less sex, but there are, you know, a, a smaller subset who are actually having more but I feel like to me all I hear is like I'm so quarantine horny like I just want to jump out my window and fuck everything and it's like I think that people are just saying something because they just have nothing to say (laughs) do you think that that might be because people can't actually have sex so you take away the thing you definitely can't do I know are you you having sex in lockdown (laughs) yeah just like the regular amount What's the regular amount? Um, oh my god. I guess it fluctuates. Just like I'm like too embarrassed. I mean, it's just like a solid <laughs> amount. <laughs> it's not every single day, but it's not no days. It's just like a really <laughs> solid amount. <laughs> so you started the blog Slut Ever. I think you started it when you were in that squat that I keep trying to act like I was also in. <laughs> <laughs> Can you explain like why you started Slut Ever essentially? Yeah, so 
I basically moved to London when I was 18 years old. I was going to go to college, but then I dropped out after one semester and my parents were like, okay, well, that means you have to come back because you don't have any money and, you know, you have to go to some other school. And I didn't want to leave because I was just having so much fun. And so I didn't have any money or any prospects and I didn't have a working permit. Like, and I didn't have a visa, actually. I didn't have anything. So I moved into this squat, you know, quote, temporarily while I figured out what I was going to do. And then I ended up squatting for six years until I got deported. So basically... I always knew that I wanted to be a writer, but I didn't really under, you know, know how I wanted to actually go about it. And then, so I decided to start this blog called Slut Ever. But it was really early days of blogging. Like, it was in 2007. And do you remember when the internet looked really crazy, where it was like all blogs were new and there was like a black background, but with like neon <laughs> Comic yeah. Sans writing? Yeah, it was like... Yeah. That Comic Sans is the most affrontive font. I mean, I found it horrific. But it was like the internet was Comic Sans for a while. I think maybe some people don't remember, but it, that was like the identity <laughs> of the internet, <laughs> at least on blogs. So I thought I was just starting this blog to practice writing because at the time there wasn't really – blogs were new, so there wasn't really um, an example of like a blogger who be, you know became successful doing that or blogs that became people's jobs. But I started writing about our life in this squat – there was about 15 of us. We were all, like, in our early 20s. I mean, you know the vibe. It was just, like, hmm. supposed to be this kind of, like, egalitarian community where we, like, all share everything and, like, we're freegans. And, but mainly it was just, like, people dealing K and, like, not remembering anything. <laughs> <laughs> but I started writing this blog as a kind of written record of what was going on then, intended to be, you know, as a memory for the people who also lived there because no one could remember anything. But then it just gained... <laughs> some traction and then it slowly became my entire life so slut ever like how does that define what a slut actually is so the name i guess it comes from like slut and whatever you know just sort of this <laughs> irreverent <laughs> i like combining two words so it's like it's this kind of irreverent idea about i mean i didn't think too hard about it it's like this idea of like oh i'm called a slut and like whatever that's not a big deal kind of subverting mm. the idea of slut as being this really heavy painful word that's used to harm right i wrote a book called slut ever too and a lot of it's about reclaiming the idea of the word slut and about how you know a lot of people you know parts of the feminist movement think that we should just eradicate that word and just like stop using it because it's mean but i think that uh, like sort of removing words from the lexicon, especially when they're so used, is sort of like a pointless task. You know, it will never mm. work. So I think like reclaiming words has been so successful historically, like words like mm. queer and butch and fag and a lot of like sort of racial slurs have been successfully reclaimed by the, the communities that felt oppression under those labels. So I think that that was kind of the aim with slut, where it's like if it just becomes like a silly you know, something that you can identify as as a joke, then it has less sort of power to harm or shame. What's your history with the word slut? Is it something you've been called? Is that why you felt so strongly to kind of create a blog around it? Yeah, I mean, it was a bit in high school. I was like pretty slutty in high school. I mean, comparatively, I guess. I mean, it's hard to judge. I mean, I feel like for a British person, I wasn't that slutty in high school because like... <laughs> Every time, like, all my British friends were like, I lost my virginity at 12 in a threesome. And I was like, okay, like, that's why you have so much weird teen pregnancy and, like, ingratism there. I don't know. But for my American high school, it felt like I was sleeping with a lot of people. Yeah. But, I mean, I wasn't a super political act at the time calling the blog whatever. It was more, like, funny and irreverent 
and a comment on slut-shaming culture. But I think over time, because of the way the culture has changed too, in a way that sort of like female sexuality has become increasingly a part of the cultural and political conversation and like conversations around slut-shaming have become forefronted, that it's something that I've just talked about more. You know, I guess I just like... (laughs) I decide to monetize the <laughs> yeah the slut shaming conversation. Is is a slut something women have ownership over, or can a man be a slut? You know, I think that whatever. If a man wants to identify as a slut, I think that that I'm not going to be like we own that word. I just think that the word has really been used as a derogatory term for women, and actually, in the definition, it historically it has meant like a woman with multiple sexual partners. So it's sort of like. Yeah, if a guy identifies as a bitch or, like, if I identify as, like, a fag, I feel like it's, like, doesn't have as much, like, weight to it. You know what I mean? I'm not not saying that, like, don't say that. We own it. But it's just, like, I don't think that it's as much of a subversive or transgressive act, Mm. really. So, obviously, our podcast is all about kind of the messages you receive online from strangers to do with kind of sex and stuff. Because you've put yourself out in the world as someone talking about sex, do you get a lot of kind of aggressive messages then in your DMs? You know what? I actually don't. And <laughs> I think that the the messages I get from people are really different than I think people would expect and then I expect. I mean, I'm used to it now, but I get asked that question pretty frequently. Like, do you get a lot of slut-shaving online? Do you get a lot of hate? And I'm surprised at how little I do. I've seen some, I remember like at one point I became a meme, which I thought, I mean, I wasn't actually like a successful meme, but I just like saw something that looked like a meme on the internet and I felt like I'd really made it. And (laughs) it basically was like, it was slut shaming and it was, they just paired two of my headlines for the column I write for Vogue back to back. And one of them was like, how did I become the last single person in my friend group? And then it just like was like a question mark, question mark. And then it like showed a title of a post I'd written the year before, which was like, I rang in my 30s with a foursome. And then it said like something slut shamey, like, like this bitch is retarded or something. I can't remember. I mean, you're still, you were still a meme. <laughs> I'm yeah, still, I was I'm like, still impressed, yes! to be honest. <laughs> yeah, I'm a meme. But so stuff like that. Just just picking up on the foursome thing there. Um, just because I'm in the furthest I've got is, is free. So how does Forsen was just surely two people, just two couples having, I mean, you just swap around, no? It was swapped. I mean, it was this married couple. And then it was this guy that I was just dating, not really seriously. So it wasn't, I mean, like the emotional stakes for me were pretty low. But yeah, Yeah. it was just a swap. And it was good because I think the guy that I got to swap with was hotter than the guy that I was came with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's got to be half the, half the reasoning behind it, surely. <laughs> yeah. Well, I didn't organize it. He organized it. And I was like, interesting. Okay. It was on my 30th birthday. That was the... Happy birthday. Yeah. <laughs> so um, do, you th- do you feel like a lot of your... Oh God, for lack of a better word, escapades have gone... You've come into them from a journalistic perspective or has it been from an authentic sexual perspective? Like how... How do you feel like you take this on? That's a really good question. I think that it's a question that I don't even know if I know the answer to because they get so muddled sometimes. Like I definitely, when I was younger, was having a lot of sex. And I mean, the reasons behind why I was doing that are also kind of complicated where it's like part of it was provocation because I grew up in this family where they, they were like, don't have sex until you're married. But then part of it was also curiosity and that I thought was fun. So, you know, it's difficult to be like, is this totally reactionary or 
like our motivations for doing anything and mm. I feel like sex especially can be kind of confusing and then when I started doing the blog then it became like well I have to have something to write about <laughs> but then it was kind of like fun to have that excuse as well to keep exploring it yeah to keep exploring it or to keep like you know it's it is funny that you could be like oh well I'm sleeping around for research is like a yeah. funny <laughs> thing to be able to say <laughs> it's a great excuse to be Has honest it yeah. You, yeah, exactly. does it give you a bit of welly to then put yourself in positions you may not have naturally sexually <laughs> kind of wanted to do I think that that is like a really good point I, I think that that's true it's like it sort of becomes confused. But it's not like, oh, my God, I, I feel like I totally feel pressure because of my writing to do these things that I'm not enjoying. It's like sort of a catalyst in a way. And then when something becomes sort of like, quote, an identity, then sometimes you can feel trapped. Like I remember when I was like 28 or something, I got into a relationship. And I was like in a monogamous relationship. And I was like, oh, my God, like my blog is going to be shit. Like I'm not going to have anything to write about. And then I remember someone being like, well, why don't you start writing about your relationship? And I was like, oh, right, cool. Like relationships, they're also interesting. <laughs> so I think that there was a point at which I felt like, oh, my God, if I don't have this sort of crazy, spontaneous, clumsy sex life, that I'm not going to have anything to say. I think I, you know grew out of that and so I was, I was just gonna say has that been an evolutionary process and like and just because based on what this this show is about like how has the internet been integral to that I mean is it must have been surely because it was a blog to begin with but you know like from using um apps all the way through to how you use it in order to promote yourself I mean yeah I sort of like built my whole career on the internet and I do feel like I say all the time that I don't think my blog would have been that successful if I started it a handful of years later because there was no competition there's just wasn't any blogs uh, for things like that there certainly wasn't any like sex blogs written by women that I know so I feel my career is a real product of early internet and then I've always used the internet to meet people sexually as well. And then I met this other, this boyfriend that I had when I was 24. I, you know, was writing my blog for a couple of years and I basically realized what Google alerts were. And I was like, oh, if I just write his name over and over and over on my blog, like he'll get a Google alert for it because he was this guy who was <laughs> <laughs> making, these, making these videos for Vice. So I wrote this article about how like I made out with my hand and imagined it was him. I wrote a couple articles like that and then he, you know, it worked. Like he sent me a Facebook message being like, haha, I've been reading articles. And I was like, okay, um, can I change my Facebook status to in a relationship? Like that was my immediate response. And then he didn't say anything for two months. And I was like, damn it. And then, but then what happened was he lived in New York and then I moved to New York like a handful of months later. And then I kind of messaged him being like, Sorry for my bad joke, but if you'd ever want to meet up for a drink, I live here now. And then we literally started dating for m many years, although it was a really bad relationship. So <laughs> I guess I regret it. But I do think that it was like this magical Internet thing where I was like, oh, my God, like the Internet is this place where you can just make things happen yeah. and like make these people who exist in your head, like actually manifest in real life. Yeah. What's your um, history with dating apps? Have you ever used any of those or like, like hookup apps? I was primarily dating through dating apps for a couple of years. I, th I guess I broke up like right before I turned 30. And then for the next couple of years, I used them. And that was the first time I like I was in a relationship all before that when they first came out. And I remember then I was traveling for a bit in Europe. And I realized it was this in incredible way to 
be introduced to a city. Like I remember going to Paris and then using Tinder and then meeting this guy who was really nice. And then we went on this date and, you know, he takes you to his favorite restaurant and bar. And then it's, he has like these inbuilt tour guides in this kind of fun way (laughs) where, you know, you can say like, I'm only here for a few days. So it's all up front, but Mm -hmm. yeah, I liked them. I mean, also like there's a lot of obvious difficulties to them where you end up going on dates sometimes with people who you have no chemistry with, but I Mm -hmm. guess that's, exists in regular life anyway yeah i was gonna say that's quite normal dating but also there's another side to like these kind of hookups with with people you don't know which is like normally for me it's it leads to a lot of fake orgasming and you've written oh, yeah. an, an article <laughs> about fake <laughs> orgasms so and you say you've you've faked over 2000 <laughs> tell me more. like a guest of it <laughs> <laughs> Is that like one of those jars of sweets that you've got to count on? <laughs> um, yeah, so that was a guess, but I actually did try and do the math. I was like, okay, so if I started when I was, because I just wasn't pulling it out of nowhere. It's like if I started when I was 16, and the, I said when I turned 30, I was like, I really got to get this together. I don't want to do this anymore. So I was like, okay, so that gives me 14 years of doing it. And then I was like, you know, I think it's reasonable to say that I can't remember. It was like 150 or something a year. Like that's because sometimes you do two at once. Oh, two no, in at ten least. minutes. <laughs> you wait till you hit 40, then. <laughs> Have you ever been caught out? Like, caught, has anyone oh. ever called you out on a fake orgasm? Well, it's funny because, like, I've mostly dated men, but I had one relationship with a woman for a few years. And right at the beginning of that relationship, she was like, are you joking? Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so I think that it's different. I think, I mean, she could tell. I think that, uh, I'm not saying like it always, a woman can tell and a man can't tell, but I just thought that that was a really funny, like, it almost was like too stereotypical. But yeah, I think that it's, I think faking orgasms is like bad. Again, I'm not trying to shame anyone or myself, but I think it's mm. not a good idea, right? Like, mm. you know, it's just like beginning a sexual interaction or just like lacing the inter- sexual interaction with inauthenticity, which, you know, is obviously an impediment to being able to connect with someone. I think that on the face of it, it seems like, oh, well, you know, I'm doing it for the guy because I want him to feel good. I want him to think that he was like good in bed and that he could get me there. But, you know, in reality, it was also because I felt insecure about not being able to come, mm-hmm. right? I think like a lot of women, especially when we're younger, yeah. Just like don't know how to do it yet. It's like yeah. it's it is hard, right? I mean, it's, not, it's, not for it's everybody. kind of like it, it sort of fits into the the sort of whole oppression thing with women. You know, it's like we just have to serve our guy, and actually, now we have reclaimed our bodies, and we do know that the ability to come as a woman is far more powerful often. And anyway, but like, listen, how would you feel? I mean, have you ever caught a guy out doing it to you? And if not, or if, or if so, how does that make one feel? I haven't, but I mean, I guess like that totally could have happened. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I do say in the article, like, if you think about it, if I think of any woman, if you said to any woman, like, would you like it if a guy faked it with you? You'd be like, oh my God, no, that would make me feel so stupid. Mm. Like, because mm. you just think like, oh, so you think that I'm like so weak or insecure that I wouldn't mm. be able to deal with the fact that you just like couldn't get there. Like, yeah. and then you feel lied to. Someone pointed it out to me, which I stole and then wrote in the article that it's like a form of kind of cheating because it's like a deceptiveness. But yeah. it's like a, a sort of a form of deceptiveness that's like really condoned and like everyone's just like, ha ha, I fake orgasms all the time. But it's like, 
Yeah, literally, if I found out someone was doing that to me, I would feel really embarrassed, I think. Yeah. But I think it's so much better. Once you don't, it feels a lot better. Because it's a crutch, really. And I think that... You know, like you, you can do it not only like to make them feel good or, or to make yourself feel good, but just sort of in lieu of clear communication of being like, OK, like I'm tired or like I don't think I'm going to get yeah. there today. You're just like, I just want it to be over. So I'm just going to fake it. I think there's something to be said, though, like Gizzy was saying like, about this whole kind of reclaiming of our bodies thing. There's that also comes with it a pressure to be kind of very woke and like very sexual in sex as a woman now. And there must be something that's frustrating when you can't come, it's like if you can't do it, then you kind of feel like less of a kind of a powerful woman, perhaps, to a degree also. Yeah. No, I think that that's totally true, right? Like, especially now we're like, we're women and we're empowered or whatever. Mm. Like, I mean, I think that that word is, ugh, it's a bit embarrassing. But like, <laughs> so, you know, you're talking about messages you get on the internet. Mm. By far, the message, the emails I get the most from women are, you know, I can't come, like, is there something wrong with me? Like, I feel like my vagina's broken. I'm 22 years old. I've never had an orgasm. You know, I guess sometimes faking orgasms, but not as much. But it's like, um, it makes people feel really insecure. And I think mm. part of it is that I think that women are told wrongly, right, that men's sexuality or men's egos are so fragile that if we say, like, oh, actually, like, that doesn't feel good. Can you do it like this? that it will be, like, devastating, that they're not going to be yeah. able to handle it. But it's, like, I actually don't think that's true. And, like, but and then, yeah, if you said, like, actually, that doesn't feel good, can you do it like this? And he was, like, completely offended and, like, didn't want to fuck anymore. It's, mm-hmm. like, he seems like someone probably that you could just, like, cut out of the rotation. <laughs> but, like, I think that it's so ingrained in us. Ugh. Like, you know what I mean? I'm not someone who's, like, oh, my God, it's the patriarchy's fault. Like, I just, that is not my sort of, like, way of thinking. I don't sort of like blame the patriarchy for everything, but also I do think that we've grown up being told that we have to be like pleasers, right? And that Mm. we have to minimize our own sexual desires or just sort of like, you know, general desires in favor of a man's in order to be desirable. So I think that, you know, sex is like the perfect distillation of that and like orgasms are the perfect distillation of that where it's like, okay, I'm going to perform what I think that good sex is for you. Like, it's like this porn Mm. star experience of like, good sex for me is if you enjoy it, basically. Mm. I think I was just rambling a little. No, no, not (laughs) at all. I mean, I I think it's something that I've always felt. I feel like, God, this is, I don't mean to I'm like, I'm the oldest one here. I'm the oldest in the room. And I feel like when I was in my 20s, that was exactly what it was. I wanted to like showcase how hot I was. Mm -hmm. And I, that was where I sort of felt like I was getting my pleasure. I think that that was it. The case, you know, when you're when you're twenty, you sort of want to show that you're really good at fucking, despite not actually probably knowing yourself as well. You hit thirty, and you you suddenly realise what a real mind blowing orgasm is. Although you're you're probably having orgasms all the way through. The older you get, the more you sort of don't want to not. If you're going to have sex, you you want to come, and I think it's almost like rather not do it. I don't know. Does that hit home? Do you, do you know what I mean by that? I think it's the evolutionary process of actually maturity that often... I mean, I, I, you know, God, I'm only speaking about myself, but I've all, I guess I was always a very sexual, even child, not teenager. You know, I was very aware of everything. But then now I feel like as an adult, a real adult, like I, you know exactly what you want from sex. Right. And like, do you feel like that sex is like 
better or more enjoyable now that you're not oh, performing? 100%. Yeah, like without any shadow of a doubt. I mean, I, I could always come, but like now I will not have sex unless I know I'm going to. It's almost like I'd rather not, you know? It's so, which is probably hugely selfish. And <laughs> I turned into quite what the like guy high, was. Then sometimes it's kind of like it's the charade <laughs> of sex. Oh, well, if I'm high, all I want to do is talk at you (laughs) (laughs) and then take some Ambien (laughs) and then probably do whatever and not know it about it the next day anyway. I'm sorry, now I'm waffling. But Carly, what's your your thoughts on that? No, I completely agree too. I think that sex is so much better now that I... Mm -hmm. that I'm, yeah, just authentic and that I don't feel like I have to perform like some like warped idea of how a hot girl has sex, whatever that is, which is like totally invented anyway. I mean, I don't fault anybody for faking orgasms when they're younger. Like, I'm not like, don't do that. I mean, I'm sort of like, you know, don't do that if you, if you can avoid it. But I think that it's like a crutch for a lot of women. And I think that ideally, you know, you never would, but I think it's hard. Like we were saying as a young girl to just have that sense of Mm -hmm. self right off the bat because you're not really trained to. How much of what you know about sex and how you have sex is learnt from kind of watching porn? Uh, yeah, that's a good question too. So I think I'm 34, so I am a generation who a lot of us saw porn before we had sex. I, I did. And it's really part of the cultural conversation now where, you know, we, we've been told that people mimic pornography when they have sex, especially if you're, you know, young and watching porn before you're having sex or when you're kind of like developing your sexuality. Because how could you not? It's like the same way that you kind of like mimic like speech or or all all these other things from movies. Yeah, the cliches you bring out in arguments with boyfriends or girlfriends are normally from like, I always find one-liners from films. Really? That's funny. (laughs) That's so funny. (laughs) Yeah, but like the way you like mimic the way people dress or who, you know what Mm. I mean? It's like if this is your only example of how people have sex, how would it not Mm. impact the way that you go about it? I have like a mixed, for for, number one, it's I think completely part of the reason why women fake orgasms for sure because like porn shows that women can like come while like being hung upside down and like four dicks in her mouth you know what I mean it's like so I think men have sometimes the you know young boys are misled by porn too right where it's like in a lot of negative ways like you have to have like a giant dick and you have to be able to have a boner for four hours or like there's something wrong with you or you're Mm -hmm. not masculine you have to be really competent and aggressive and all these things that I think men mimic pornography too like in this kind of like macho way which sucks for them so I think that that was complicated and it made me more performative but then also something I've said in the past probably too much but that it also I think helps me with my body image porn because there was always like you know again when I was in high school it was like that pro-anno moment where like it was mm. the Olsen twins and like Calista Flockhart and everyone was all actresses were like so anorexic and then in yeah. porn yeah. there were these women with like curves and boobs that like bounce when they had sex and yeah. I was like oh that's sexy and like that's what I look like you know yeah yeah so I've read you once worked as a dominatrix Carly yeah why did you stop um because I guess it wasn't just like my long-term life plan <laughs> no actually I do have a good, <laughs> I have a good reason why I stopped so uh okay basically I'll just try and make this as short as possible so when I moved to New York when I was 24 
from London and I like it was the first time where I had to like get an apartment and pay rent because I'd been squatting right and I needed to get a job but I didn't have a, really a degree or any qualifications at all so I was interviewing this dominatrix for this article that I was writing for Vice so again it's like this <laughs> journalism kind of leading me down a slutty path but basically I followed her around like shadowed her for a few days in her dungeon and then I, I just like thought it was like fun and interesting and and she at the end of it was like you obviously like really like it here you know would you be down you know like clients will pay more if there's somebody watching because it kind of like ups the factor of like humiliation you know and so would you just sit here during my sessions I'll pay you like $50 an hour and I was like what like that was more money than I could ever imagine. Like my rent was like four hundred dollars a month, you know. So I was like, "Oh my god, yeah." So then I ended up just sitting there and watching, and then it kind of turned into helping her or doing like some stuff with her during her sessions. And then it basically evolved into when there were clients that she like didn't have time to see or didn't want to see that she would give them to me. So it wasn't like my full time job, and I never was really advertising. Yeah. But I was sort of like her assistant slash helper slash where she like threw the, the trash clients that she didn't want. But I then ended up stopping because, first of all, I'd been doing it for about a year and a half. And I kind of, I think the novelty of it wore off. Like at the beginning, it was so interesting. And I was like interviewing a lot of these people. And then I don't think I was like very just naturally adept at it. Like I was, I'm not very dominant. So I think it was a bit shit. But then what <laughs> happened was... I decided to stop because, okay, so she was this dom who was, one of her specialties was erotic kidnapping. So she (laughs) (laughs) would, like, it was fucking insane. I mean, she was legendary, actually, in the pro-dom community in New York. Her name is Mistress Darcy. And she would do these things where, like, somebody would say, okay, like, I'm paying you to be kidnapped. And then sometime over the next month, she would have, like, henchmen. And they would come in, like, vans. And she would know where they... They would tell her stuff, like, this is where I work and this is where my house is. And, like, this is how I get home and this is, like, my general schedule. And she would kidnap and, like, throw them into the back of vans and, like, take them to, like, wherever and torture them. So this guy had paid her to kidnap... Him. And then she got me and this other girl as part of like the squad who was going to do it. And I was like, okay. So she lived downtown in the financial district. And so then I get there and it's like, okay, so which one of you is going to hold the gun? And I was like, what? <laughs> and then she was like, it's not loaded. I was like, is it a, f-? she was like, it's just to like scare him. And I was like, well, I don't want to hold it. And then she brings it out and it's just like, it look. it's like one of those fake guns that looks very real. And I'm like, that seems, like, problematic. I don't think anybody should be carrying that in Manhattan, right? And But the other girl, like, seemed, like, completely unfazed. And I was just like, whatever. So she can hold that. And then she was like, okay, so the guy's going to come. I'm going to pull him down the alley. We're going to put a bag on his head. And then I'm going to put him in the trunk of this car. And then we're going to drive around for a while to disorient him so he doesn't know where he is. And then you guys wait outside my apartment. And then you pull him out of the trunk of the car and bring him upstairs. And I'm like, red flag, it's noon. You know what I mean? Like, I'm pulling someone out of the trunk of a car with a bag on their head. We're like four blocks from the World Trade Center Memorial. Fucking So out. then, like, not surprisingly, we are pulling this guy out of the trunk of a car with a bag on his head. And then these so undercover bad. cops come and, like, literally no. tackle us to the ground. Yes. No, and so no. she had given us... I forgot to say, she had given us this stupid camera, and she was like, if anyone asks anything, just say you're making a a student film. We were like, okay. And then we were like, we're making a student film. And they were like, where's your camera? And then, like, the girl had, like, the camera off in her, like, 
pocket of her jeans, which oh, like for God's sake. I know. And then basically <laughs> it was like it just was so terrifying. And then like the, the cops took the bag off the guy's head and he was like, No, 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 it's fine, it's fine. And then like they took our information down and like the whole time, like this girl has a fake gun in the waistband of her jeans. So I was like, if they search us, like we're fucked. Anyway, this story has gone on forever, but after that I was like, I think I'm done. Like I don't trust this woman at all. Like she puts me in really that- compromised situations. Yeah. Oh god. Yeah, what a life. So can you had um sex with a first male doll on television. How was that? <laughs> that was like I, <laughs> So this just for context, I did this Vice video. I was doing this Vice web series about like sexuality and we did one about the first ever sex doll made for women and I ended up having like sex with it and that video has 60 million views on YouTube. <laughs> that is the most culturally relevant thing I will ever do in my whole life, which is extremely sad. Like I will never do anything that has that much of an audience. What was it like? It was uh, like having sex with a dead body. I mean, it was just like Whoa. a lifeless cold thing, like doll with a boner. But I mean, it is interesting because they're made out of silicone that feels so creepily real. Like it, mm. it feels like really Exactly like human skin, except not oh. warm. Uh, can they make them a bit warmer so they don't feel like you're fucking a dead person? I think I think that they do. They're is that a thing controlled. now? That is <laughs> yeah, quite weird. Like you don't know that. <laughs> so do, do the, does the male sex doll? Does it kind of move, or does is it just is it fri- frigid? <laughs> uh, is it just uh, <laughs> is it just lay there like you know, ready to be owned? It just lays there. I mean, this was probably we did this four or five years ago. So I think that the technology's probably evolved, but I remember them saying yeah. like that they wanted to add some mechanical system in, into it so that it could eventually thrust. And they wanted to, oh. like you were saying, like have heat sensors in yeah. like the penis specifically and the chest so, so that Hot it didn't dick. feel cold. Yeah. Ew. Yeah. So like <laughs> mimicking, I guess like blood rushing to it, yeah. but there's probably some evolution. I think that, my guess is that there is not an incredible market for those male sex dolls. And then if they are, I think the market's probably more for gay guys. Why do you no. think that men prefer the idea of shagging uh, what was a rubber doll that's now verged into this and uh, women probably don't? I don't know. I mean, there's like this thing that people have always said that men are more visual, you know, rely more on visual stimuli for sex. And then I was always like, is that true? And then actually there are studies that say it's true. I mean, who knows? But... Mm. I don't know. Like, I would love to know that because I the idea of having sex with a sex doll to me is so far beyond anything mm. I would ever want in my I whole can't, life. Yeah, no. Like, would you Ooh. want that? No. Like, why? Okay, but saying that, I'd say women are. I mean, this is an assumption that women are probably more in tune with like having sex toys. Full stop. So, you know, the vibrator is something that no woman I know is going to be going without. Yeah. A lot of men have probably never used a sex toy for themselves specifically. I, is that fair enough? Yeah, that is a good point. That is weird. Yeah, like sex toys are definitely marketed toward women and also gay men. Like I know gay men mm. who have like, you know, paddles and yeah. cock rings and stuff like that. But I think that, yeah, that's true. That's so weird. I mean, I don't know. I feel like I'm not the person to answer these questions, but I will so- agree with you. <laughs> I feel like maybe I should know. You're like, you made a documentary about it. But um, <laughs> I don't know. I just think, like, the idea of having, again, I'm not trying to shame someone, but the idea of having sex with a lifeless object that's supposed to mimic what it's like to have sex with a person, it's like I would rather 
just have something that doesn't attempt to be human, like a vibrator or like, I think a lot of vibrators, they used to be phallic, right? To look like dicks. Yeah. And then now they don't. It's moved away from that aesthetically because I think I don't need my vibrator to be shaped like a penis. Yeah. You know, because like, it, it's not like, no, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, obviously the whole point of this is to be able to like get into your DMs and we've sort of like only version it a little bit. You said that you generally don't get much hate, but do you get a lot of propositions? Like what, what do you, what does your DMs look like? So there is a very specific genre that I get primarily from men that I think some people find surprising, but I'm not going to bring it up too much, which is like savior DMs. Right. Where it's like, oh my God, like, I think you think that like you have to talk about like sex to get attention. Oh but God. Like, I think that you're like really, really smart. It's like a lot of guys being like, honestly, you're I actually look really you. smart. Yeah. It's like, oh, don't worry. Like, you don't have to do that. I'll take care of you. But also like, Sort of neggy, but I don't think it's always intended to be neggy, but just like, I think a lot of people just think of you as like this blowjob blogger, but like, I actually think that you have like really deep thoughts <laughs> like that. Oh, I mean. And I think that, what do they think that I'm just going to be like, oh my God, thank you so much. I finally feel seen. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I think on that note, Carly, you've been an absolute dream of a guest. This is so fun. What fun. Listen, right, thank, thank you, you so, so much. much. You're an absolute joy. And Yeah, thank um, you so much too. This was extremely fun. Oh, we'll keep, keep up the good work for womankind. We really appreciate it. Genuinely. Yes, thank you. <laughs> ditto, ditto. Thank you for listening to our Spotify original podcast, Sex Lies and DM Slides. Please follow us on Spotify and tell all your mates about it if you enjoyed it. And if you have any weird and wonderful Sex Lies and DM Slides stories of your own, do slide into our DMs at Sydney Lima and at Gizzy Erskine. No dick pics, please. Also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Sex Lies DM Slides. This Spotify original podcast is a Hayden Prowse production edited by Matt and Scott at Podmonkey. With music by Free Seed Films, our executive producers at Spotify are Rachel Simpson and Alexandra Aidey. 